All right. Good morning, New Life East. How are you today? Man, I am so overwhelmingly honored uh, to be preaching here this morning when uh, Pastor Andrew called me about four weeks ago and he said, hey, would you be willing on September 20th to come speak at Ease? I was like, absolutely. What would you like me to speak on? He said, Revelation 8 and 9. I was like, just kidding. I don't want to come. Uh, so I am, I am so pumped uh, to be with you guys here this morning. As he said, um, I have the honor and privilege of being the student ministry pastor at New Life North. So normally week to week, I hang out with all of the prepubescent and teenagers, and it's wild. So that being said, if uh, you have uh, any youth students who are looking uh, to connect anywhere, anywhere between the ages of 6th grade to 12th grade, Wednesday nights at New Life North, 6.30. Uh, we've been gathering for a couple months, and it has been a really good time. So uh, I want to invite your students, uh, if they're looking for a place to plug in. Um, if you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 8, we're going we're gonna to start there. But before we go there, I want to go ahead and keep uh, in rhythm with what Pastor Andrew has done for the past five, six weeks. So I want to invite you to stand with me. And before we read this uh, text, I want to go ahead and uh, recite the Nicene Creed together. Um, and if this is your first time and you're going, okay, what is this? Um, this serves as the statement of faith uh, here at New Life Church. But more importantly, it has served as the statement of faith for the church for centuries. And so what we do when, when we say this is we kind of center ourselves on the absolutes, the things that we can say, you know what, no matter what, this is where the people of God land in their belief. So uh, if you can humor me, I'm going to put on my glasses because I can't read these screens from this far away. Um, but let's read this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. And we believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we welcome your presence here with us today. Would you be glorified? Would you be magnified? Would you be lifted high? Father, I pray that you would come and you would speak to us through your word this morning. God, I pray that you would guard the listener from wherever the preacher might be in error. 
And I pray that those words would be forgotten, but your words, words that bring truth, life, freedom, hope, resurrection, Lord, they would sit true and they would be remembered. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Would you come? Would you have your way? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe? And if you are with me and awake this morning, say amen. 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 You can be seated. Revelation chapter 8, starting in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. It says, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. When I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. We have a very interesting moment taking place here at Revelation 8. If you haven't been with us for the last several weeks, let me just catch you up. We have Jijin, or Jijin, John, who's on the island of Patmos. He's exiled, and all of a sudden he's given this vision. And so what we see is as Revelation has progressed so far, we have Revelation 2 and 3 where he is actually recording seven letters to churches that Jesus is giving to his bride. And then we get to Revelation chapter 4, and we're, he's given this vision of the throne room, one of the most magnificent chapters in all of the Bible where we see all of the elders and we see the four living creatures and, and we see a, a sea of glass and a throne with someone sitting on it. And we're, we're, we're seeing this, this act of worship take place. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then we get to Revelation chapter 5 where we see that this scroll is presented that has seven seals on it. Seven seals. And so we have John looking at it and there's nobody in heaven or on earth who seem to be that they can open the scroll. And so he begins to weep. And one of the elders steps up and says, don't worry. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb that was slain, he is the one who can open the scroll. And so we have the Messiah take this scroll, the lamb that was slain, and he begins to break open these seals. And last week, Pastor Andrew started us with this, where we have the first four seals that are open, where we kind of get this picture of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There's lots of different interpretations that we can take at this text. But where Pastor Andrew took us last week is, is that though many believe this might be this kind of future reality that is still yet to come, we are in fact living in the four horsemen of the apocalypse right now. That we're actually getting to see brokenness, famine, violence, socioeconomic uh, uh, fragmentation all over our world right now. And then he gets to the fifth seal. And at the fifth seal we see... The martyrs, the blood of those who, whose lives have been taken for the sake of the gospel, crying out for justice. And the sovereign Lord says, wait just a little while longer. And then he opens the sixth seal. And the sixth seal, we have earthquakes all over the earth. We see the sky begin to vanish. Things begin to get a little bit funky. And then in Revelation chapter 8, we have the lamb breaking open the seventh seal of the scroll. 
And what I want you to pay attention to here is this first verse where he says, and silence fell across heaven for about half an hour. We have this moment of anticipation where the scroll is finally going to be opened. It's finally going to be revealed. And and what we know of this scroll is that what it represents is the meaning of human history. And then what takes place as he opens the scroll is we get these seven angels with seven trumpets. As you continue to read Revelation 8 and 9, we get these angels who kind of blow these trumpets and it kind of seems that all hell breaks loose on the earth. We have a third of the earth consumed with hail and fire and we see the water turn to blood and we see rivers and fresh drinking water get polluted. And again, we see the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And many people have have taken the interpretation of this and we kind of see it in three lights. Some might say, no, no, this is a past event. Some might say, no, no, this is taking place here and now. Some might say, no, no, this is something that is still yet to come. And we kind of see a significance with this number seven. We get seven seals. We get seven trumpets. As we continue to read in Revelation, we're going to get seven bowls that kind of represent these judgments. What I want to suggest to you here this morning is that what John wants us to see, more than justice, more than retribution for what is about to take place, is some attributes of our God. One of the problems that we can have when we approach the book of Revelation is we stop, stop looking at it kind of like it's God's word, that it's something for us. And we start to see, okay, I'm reading an end time event. And, and at, its, at its best or at its worst sometimes for people, this has kind of become like the fear-mongering book of the Bible, right? Like, get your act together or you will be consumed by fire or plague or fill in the blank. And as Pastor Andrew said at the very beginning of the series, brothers and sisters, the book of Revelation preaches the gospel. And every time we approach God's word, whether it is in Genesis or Revelation, we're given this invitation to ask three questions. What does this text tell us about our God? What does this text tell us about who we are in Christ? And how does that shape the way that we live our lives? And what I want to answer this morning is, as we kind of tackle this, is what do we see from our God as we read Revelation 8, 1 through 5? Three attributes that I want, you, I want to give you that I think we see from God this morning. I'm going to keep it really simple because I normally preach to students. <laughs> and if I don't keep it simple, they fall asleep. <laughs> so three attributes. And the first is this. Number one, that God listens. He listens. Look at this verse again in verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Can you imagine this shift in John's perspective as he's observing everything that's taking place? He's literally just watched six seals open up and we get all of these, all of these horsemen kind of come out that represent death and war and violence and famine and plague. And then he's seeing the martyrs cry out for justice. The martyrs cry out for someone to avenge their blood. And then he's given a picture of an earthquake over the earth and, and the sky vanishing. And then all of a sudden, silence. But this silence has a purpose because as we continue to read, we know that what is taking place here is an angel is taking the prayers of the saints. Every prayer that has been prayed by God's people from the beginning of time, every prayer that God's people are praying right now and every prayer that God's people will pray in the future, they're being taken right now and they're being blended with incense, refined and filtered with incense and they're being risen up before the throne 
of God and God silences all of heaven to listen, to listen. And we're given this picture of a God who listens at the end of all things. But one of the beautiful things about scripture is that we know that this isn't just an attribute of our God at the end of time. If you remember back to the Old Testament, we have a moment where God has chosen a people. He's chosen a nation called Israel. And so what we have is the house of Jacob and all of a sudden famine hits the land. And so God takes this family and he brings them to Egypt to preserve them. And as the generations pass, this family multiplies into a great nation. And as the, as the generations pass and the pharaohs die off, we, we see a new generation of pharaoh rise up. And he looks across his own country and he sees a nation that is greater than his own living among them. And as opposed to continuing to foster an environment where they can thrive in an act of fear, he enslaves this nation. And we have the entire nation of Israel broken oppressed, segregated under the hand of Pharaoh. And this is what we see in Exodus 2, chapter, or Exodus 2, verse 23. It says this, And during those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And what does it say here? And God what? God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I make this statement to you. God listens. And I'm willing to bet that most people in this room have a hard time grasping it. We wrestle with that, don't we? Does God really listen? Because so often we make synonymous with God's listening his ability to answer our prayer. If God heard me, he would have answered my cry. If God heard me, he would have answered my plea. If God heard me, he would have responded. And what we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 8 is there is a response. But before we look at the response, we have to take a step back and realize that God is a God who listens. Can I ask you something? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you actually felt heard? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you actually felt heard? One of the greatest gifts, one of the greatest practices that can be disciplined, that we can be disciplined in fostering and cultivating is the ability to listen, <laughs> right? One of, the, one of the greatest relationships, if not the greatest relationship in my life that sanctifies this practice in me day by day is that with my wife. If you are a husband, you're going to have to learn how to listen Otherwise, marriage won't work out. When I look back, we just passed our five-year anniversary this, this past June. And when I think back to our first, second, and third year of marriage, we had the dumbest of fights. I mean, we fought over, like, how much soda was in the can that was left. Like, the dumbest things. How she would click her turn signal and make a turn. How, she would, how she'd stop out of light. All of the, and when I think back to all of our arguments, if I can identify the root, it was usually that I was pretty poor at listening to my wife. And I didn't know how to hear her correctly. And I remember three years ago, I was sitting at this conference at New Life Church. We, it was the gathering. We had Pastor Rich Velotas come and speak. And he was talking and he was giving an account, a testimony of his early years in ministry, like I was right now. And he said they were the worst years of his marriage. 
And so as an act of, of self-care and healing, he'd get counseling once a month. And he, sa- he sat with his counselor and he said, I just don't understand. Like, we argue all the time. And I don't know how she, she can feel validated. Like, no matter what, I'm not getting the job done. And as I listen, I go, I, I can empathize with this. And I can remember as, as he was talking that there would be something that takes place when, when, when something would frustrate her, anger her. I would sit and I would try to listen. In the first three-year marriage, I had kind of three, three premises or three ways in which I would try to listen to my wife. The first was this. I would listen to fix. So she'd start getting angry. She'd start getting frustrated. We're driving in the car. And as I'm listening, I hear that she's angry and she's frustrated. My mind goes to, well, that's easy. I can change this situation like that. If you would have just said this when she said that, you wouldn't be frustrated right now. If you would have just not said anything, you wouldn't be mad right now because then she wouldn't. And I'd just start responding to fix and she'd hate it. <laughs> she'd get more angry. She'd get more angry. And I'm like, I don't understand. I'm helping you, woman. I'm helping you. Like, and she would just get more angry. So then the second form that I would kind of default to is passive affirmation. All of the husbands, all the wives, like, yeah, I know what that feels like. When she starts getting angry, she starts telling, and it's patronizing. That just, that's a bummer. I'm so sorry. I'm, babe, that's just the worst. And, it's just, and she'd get more angry. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm not fixing. I'm affirming. It's like, no, no, it's patronizing. And so when those two wouldn't work, I'd go to form type of three, which is the absolute worst. I'd silently ignore so she'd start going, I'm like, I'm not going to fix, I'm not going to, I'm just going to be quiet and think about whatever else. And as I sat in this conference, I listened to this pastor talk. He said, he, he gave very, very similar responses to the counselor. And he said, the counselor asked him to do something to try the next time that she gets angry, to practice his listening. He said, okay, the next time she gets angry and she begins to go off, I want you to, for a brief moment, to get angry with her. Get angry with her just for a couple moments and let her see that instead of trying to pull her up, you're going to enter into it with her. And so I remember listening to the pastor say this and I was like, all right, I'm going to put that in the tool belt. I'm going to see if this works. Sure enough, it was probably not but a week later. It always happens when we're driving home. Always happens in the car. I'm in the passenger seat, she's driving, and all of a sudden something happened at a situation. I can't remember what it was. Well, she was mad at somebody. And all I know is that somebody was a female. And so she just starts going off, going off, going off, and she starts rambling. We're about two minutes from the house. And everything in me, I'm sitting here, okay, wait, how am I supposed to respond to this? And I'm like, no, don't fix, don't pass the favor. And it clicked. It goes, oh, enter into it with her. So I, I, I kind of see it as like getting ready for game day. I'm like getting amped in the passenger seat. Like, I'm like, she's, she's gone. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. And she like builds to the climactic moment of like what made her mad, what the person said. And just in a moment of instinct when she hit it, I go, she said what? How dare she? Oh. Oh. <laughs> And I will never forget the moment of my wife's eyes sitting there driving and just <laughs> completely caught off guard. And what was best is that lasted like three seconds and then it went to, yeah, exactly, two minutes. And she was so happy. She was so happy. There was, there was something about entering into it with her. And, and here's what I note from that moment. 
That moment will always be ingrained as, as, a, as a memory in my mind when I saw my wife and, and to see a human being feel like they're heard. What takes place? Eugene Peterson says that, that when we actually feel heard, it acquires dignity to our souls. We have permission to feel the way that we feel. We have permission to think what we're thinking. We have permission to enter into our own frustration because somebody is willing to listen. Brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is that all that you are praying, every cry that you have, every plea that you have, it is not going up to some vast void of space to be forgotten. It's being heard by God himself. God listens. But it's not the only thing that John wants us to see here. God does not just listen, but God also acts. God listens, God acts. Starting in verse 3, it says here, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then look here. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire and from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This text gives me great comfort. We're given a picture of all the prayers of the saints being before God in the altar. The angel takes those prayers, he puts them in a golden censer and he refines it with incense and the smoke of it rises before the Lord. And after heaven has listened for half an hour, he, go, he goes ahead and he takes every prayer that has been offered up in faith and he lights it on fire and he sends it back towards the earth. Do you know what this is saying? It is saying that every prayer you have offered up in desperation, every, every word that you have brought to the Lord as a cry for help, as a cry for justice in the midst of your suffering has not been wasted. It hasn't been wasted, but God has listened to it and he has listened to it with the intent of taking it and giving justice to it. And we wrestle with this. We wrestle with this because, again, we go back to this mindset that it's like, I have prayed and I haven't seen answers to my prayers. And we begin to believe the lie that God doesn't answer our prayers, that in some way, shape, or form, our prayers actually are kind of like us throwing up the spiritual lottery. And maybe one of these days we'll hit the jackpot where he listens and he'll respond. That's not the message of Scripture and that's not the gospel. He hears, he acts. And we know this to be true when we even look back at Jesus' ministry, don't we? When we look as, as he's teaching his disciples in Luke 18, starting in verse 1, he gives this parable. He gives this parable. And in verse 1 he says, look, I'm telling you this as a parable so that you know that you should always pray and that you shouldn't lose heart. Do not lose heart. And then 
The parable is we have this widow, this widow in a town, first century Palestine. She has no value because she's a woman. She has no value because she's not married. This is the way the culture looks at her. And yet she continues to go to the judge and say these words, grant me justice against my adversary. By culture standpoint, she would never be heard. And we pick up in verse four, Luke 18, verse four, it says, as the judge listened and after a while he refused But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you. He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Do you realize what Jesus just said? He just made a promise that every prayer offered up in faith will not go unanswered. And it's confirmed for us when we look at Revelation 8, 1 through 5, that every prayer, every cry for help, every plea for intervention that you have given to the Lord. Every cry for justice is not forgotten. It's not meaningless. It's not meaningless. Do not mistake your prayer not getting answered in the way that you wanted it to be answered in the time that you wanted it to be answered with God not answering your prayer. No, 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 no. It's being answered. And this is why, this is why when Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, let me teach you to pray. He doesn't teach them to say when they pray for their own kingdom to come and their own will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you imagine if our prayers were answered in the manner with which we see with our limited perspective? Can you imagine if our prayers were answered with an understanding That is not all-knowing. But when we make a prayer that says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we say is that we trust that you are the one who holds all things and sees all things. And you are the God who is going to grant justice. And brothers and sisters, when we look to the end of all things, what John is wanting us to see What he wants the saints to acknowledge is that every cry for justice will be answered, will be answered. So my invitation to you this morning before we get to point three is keep praying, keep praying. It is in the fire of adversity and the place of prayer that God reveals to us who he is and more importantly, He cultivates us into the person he has created us to be. Are you with me this morning? Third point that I think John wants us to see is that God is just. God is just. And here's the thing. We can say God listens and we can say God acts, but neither of those things mean anything unless God is just. And this is what I mean by that. I want to make almost synonymous God's justice with his goodness. 
Because I think we have a hard time with wrestling, can somebody be just unless they are good, right? And when we talk about God's goodness, this is the definition that I want to give you. When we say that God is just and good, it means this, that all that he is and all that he does is worthy of approval. All that he is and all that he does is worthy of approval. Now hear me, we can ask the question, whose approval? Not yours or mine. This is a hard pill to swallow. All that God is, all that God does is worthy of approval. Whose approval? This is going to sound weird. His own. His own. And you sit here and you say, Tim, that kind of sounds arrogant, doesn't it? That all that somebody is and all that somebody does is worthy of their own approval. And the truth is to you and me, that is a statement of arrogance. You know why? Because we're not perfect. We're not holy. We're not righteous in and of ourselves. But he is. And because he is, he loves us enough to make his goodness contingent upon his own character. You know why that's good news for us? Is it means that you are no longer the one responsible for ascribing value, worth, strength to your life. He takes it upon himself, himself. The Bible talks about justice in two ways. In some ways it talks about it as retribution or or retributive justice or however you want to say it. But primarily the Bible talks about justice as restorative. Meaning, Meaning that it's a radical, selfless way of life. Radical, selfless way of life. And I need you to hear me this morning. We do not know that God listens, that God acts, and that God is just exclusively from Revelation 8 and 9 of the book of Revelation. I need you to hear me this morning. That's not the hope of the gospel. We have the benefit, the gift of saying we know God acts, God listens, God is just through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His life is the final word. Can you stand with me? His life is the final word. I want to tell you good news this morning. Good news is that anything and everything that you have brought in with you this morning that you are carrying, whatever you have been praying for night and day, whatever you have given up praying for, whatever addiction that you carry, whatever insecurity that you have, whatever sin you are dealing with, hear me, it does not have more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. It does not have more power. And I believe with all of my heart that God wants to restore your hope and your joy this morning by reminding you that he hears you. He hears you. And every cry, every plea, every ask, every request has not been forgotten, but it is being heard. And he has acted on your behalf 
in the person of Jesus Christ. And what he has done is good. So as we enter back into a couple moments of worship here, I wanna go through the prayer of confession. As we say these words, it's, it's an appropriate response to being reminded that God listened, he acts, and he is just on our behalf. When we say, most merciful God, have mercy on me. Forgive me. We're acknowledging that the power of life, of resurrection, of salvation rests within his hands. So if I can invite you into faith this morning, can you say this prayer with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Brothers and sisters, let's worship.
Good news. Good news. Brothers and sisters, no matter how you walked in here this morning, is that Jesus is alive. He's alive. And he cares for you. He loves you. He is for you all the way to the point of death itself. And when we come to the table of the Lord, if you have your elements, if you want to go ahead and open them up, you can. What we're reminded here is that even before the foundation of the world, God looking upon our brokenness, our pain, and knowing that we were going to cry out, knowing that we were going to need a Savior, He sent His Son. He sent His Son to live a sinless life, to show us a better way, to be the way, and ultimately to have his body broken and his blood shed for you and for me so that all who put their faith in Jesus Christ can be, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, a new creation. So on the night that our beloved Savior was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He blessed it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, look at me, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you are discouraged in prayer, every time your sin wants to isolate you, I want you to remember, my body was broken for you. And every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And likewise, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood. I want you to realize that I have made you a spotless and blameless church. I have washed you clean. There is no sin. There is no brokenness. There is no weakness in your life that will ever outweigh the cross of Jesus Christ. You have been made new washed clean. Every time we take this, do it in remembrance of him. Let's take the cup together. And if you can, can you just begin to lift words of thanksgiving to the Lord? Praise him, thank him, glorify him for what he has done. God, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Father, would day and night night and day would incense arise among your people because you are good. You are good. You are good. You are good. Brothers and sisters, can you open your hands with me? As I give the benediction to you, may you know or may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Would he lift his bright, smiling countenance toward you, and would he grant you peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today at New Life East. It's been such a gift to gather with you. Do not forget, Serve Sunday. There are tables outside for you to see ways that you can plug in, that you can serve here as the body of Christ. Love you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday.